Welcome to this episode of Wesley's Trauma Talk. In this episode, we're interviewing our very own pediatric trauma medical director, Dr. Kimberly Mollick, and speech language pathologist Michael Hogwood about pediatric concussions. Dr. Mollick will also be speaking about the Kansas Concussion Scorecard. You can find a link to that on our landing page at wesleytraumatalk.podbean.com. Please remember, like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thank you for being here today, Michael. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Hey, guys. I'm a speech-language pathologist. I work at the Speech, Swallowing, and Voice Center here in Wichita. I'm affiliated with Wesley working at the Concussion Clinic. Primarily, I work with patients in regards to swallowing deficits, dysphagia, voice deficits, vocal cord dysfunction, and concussion cognitive deficits. I've been doing the Concussion Clinic with Dr. Malik since it started four or five years ago, I think. Dr. Malik, it's great to have you back in the studio. Dr. Malik was our very first guest on our first episode about recognizing hypotension in pediatric trauma patients. You can see that on our landing page and listen to it anytime. Dr. Malik, thank you for being here today. Would you talk to us about the concussion clinic? Great. Thanks for having me again this morning, Erin. Um, yes, we started our concussion clinic, as Michael mentioned, about four or five years ago as a need in our community because we have um, such a tremendous amount of children in our environment with both minor and major traumatic brain injury and concussions uh, fall into the category of minor traumatic brain injury that we really felt were just kind of in our environment without a lot of guidance and not a lot of kind of structured follow-up and care. And this in our concussion clinic is designed to provide the children in Wichita and really South Central Kansas with structured care and guidance on how to navigate concussions. Dr. Mollick, how would you explain a concussion? Everybody sort of knows it when they see it. It's a constellation of symptoms that results from blunt head injury. Usually imaging studies are negative imaging studies are positive, you kind of fall into the category of major traumatic brain injury. So usually your CT scan or your MRI is going to be normal. Um, But the children will have lingering symptoms of headaches, nausea, dizziness, imbalance, memory deficits, cognitive deficits, emotional disorders, memory, sleep disorders. So it's it's a multi-system multi-symptom problem that occurs after blunt head injury that can last anywhere from days to weeks to months. And today you, you guys wanted to focus your expertise on elementary and high school age students. Any certain mechanisms of injuries that should always be on the, the lookout when these patients present? Well, we've seen all kinds of mechanisms of injury, and I think that's probably one of the primary definitions of concussion is, did you have an injury where you hit your head? And did the result of that injury result in symptoms that would be concussion-like? And if you have those, meaning we've seen people hit their head on a car window, we've seen people run into a pole, we've seen people get run over by a car. So any way that you can hit your head that results in what Dr. Malik just described is what we've seen. Is there a difference in the signs and symptoms that show depending on the age? Does the brain development determine certain signs and symptoms you'll see, or are they pretty much the same signs and symptoms across the board? 
from our experience, I think the symptoms primarily are the same across the board. I haven't seen any specific age group complain or come forward with one specific symptom versus another, from my experience. Dr. Mollick, what system do you use to evaluate concussions? use the Kansas Concussion Scorecards. It's a 23-point system um, that is graded from 0 to 6. And we use it for all of our children, whether they're 6 or 16, is available online. And we often encourage parents to look at it. We provide it in our clinic for them as well. And it's available in all of our emergency rooms. And it's available in many primary care offices across the state as well. Michael, would you mind talking about some of the long-term sign and symptoms you see in the concussion clinic with pediatric patients? If you have an injury to your head and you have symptoms that are concussion-like, we'll assume you have a concussion with the idea that these will go away over a short period of time. If those symptoms linger and they don't go away, we then evolve out of the concussion and more into the concussion, uh, post-concussion syndrome, which is then more complex. What do you find to be the biggest obstacle to overcome when assessing and treating a concussion? I think probably the biggest obstacle is from a learning and academic and social perspective, the limitation of expectation is, oh, you hit your head, you're going to get better. And when you don't, it becomes more difficult to provide the support needed in order to be able to continue on academically trying to figure out what your level of performance should be based on what you did before without there being the obvious visual representation of the injury. Yeah, you're, you're treating an invisible injury. Yeah, there's no scar, there's no bruise, there's no cast that shows that there's been an accident or an operation or uh, any external sign of a problem. And yet sometimes these problems are the most profound of all that lead to tremendous dysfunction, particularly in the academic environment, as Michael was alluding to. Well, and everybody's different, right? Everybody's academic performance is different. We have kids come in that, you know, parents and, and the student both um, report that I'm a straight-A student, I should, you know, I'm in honors classes, everything's normally easy, and now it's difficult. And then you get students that come in and say, well, I'm a, I'm a C student normally, I don't necessarily do great in these things. And again, it's almost even harder for that kid because the expectations are lower. So for to get the support they need, they would have to be performing well below what that normal level is, where the honor roll student that's now getting Bs and Cs... They attract so much more attention. Exactly. Exactly. Michael, could you talk about the evaluation process that takes place in the concussion clinic? Well, the first thing we have to do is establish that there's something different. And again, that's hard to do because there is no general baseline achieved cognitively prior to the beginning of a sports season like there is physically. So what I do is when the students come in or the, the patient comes in, we just do a screen on them, and we're just establishing does the mechanism of injury and the symptoms match concussion? How is this impacting your life? And we'll get all kinds of varied answers. You know, some parents are like, they're fine, it's no big deal, and we get some that are very concerned. So if there is concern and we see evidence of that, or if we see no evidence of that, let's say they completely pass the screening fine, but parents are saying something is wrong, the student's saying something is wrong, 
then we want to get them in for a formal assessment where we can really look at each of the different parts of the brain specifically and receive a score that we can compare to somebody their age. A, you know, high score, you know, average score, low score. Well, well, how are they scoring in these areas separately? How do all of those scores correlate into an overall score? And then how does that compare to what they normally are able to do? And so if we see that, oh, look, your memory scores are very low, or your attention scores are very low, or your processing scores are very low, or one of them is low, or all of them are low, look, there's an area of concern, because now you're performing below the expected norm for your age. And then we have to say, is this normal then for this child? And that's where we start to then go, well, let's try and see if we can do something to help out with this problem. Michael, would you mind expanding upon how pediatric concussions are treated at the clinic? So in regards to, okay, if a, if a student's showing difficulties or, or scores or performances that are less than what they're normally used to based on the difficulties, we then have to establish, because it gets a little more complicated, well, do their symptoms include vision deficits? Do they include pain, chronic headaches? Well, of course your memory and your attention scores are going to be low if you have chronic pain or vision difficulties. So then we have to say, so is it a memory deficit secondary to pain? Is it a memory deficit secondary to vision deficit? Because that then impacts how we then approach. Because from a therapeutic standpoint, I'm approaching this from, one, is this something we can rehabilitate back to your normal baseline, right, through exercise? I want to stimulate those parts of the brain, challenge them. Building mindfulness, and mindfulness is a very important word when it comes to this rehab because you have this, the person has to become aware of what their body's telling them, right? Dr. Malik and I think the whole clinic are very much in agreement that therapy is not just about rest. It's about activity, right? It's about academic activity. It's about social activity. It's about getting back into the process of doing things, but understanding that your body gives you messages. It says, hey, my, your headache is increasing through this task you're doing. That's the time where you rest, not that you just sit in a room with the lights shut all the time. And so that's one of the first things we do is we build and establish mindfulness. So they listen to their body, they get support from their family, they get support from their school. And then we start to challenge and raise the difficulty of the task and see if they build stamina and tolerance so they can do more. So basically I do four tasks. We do delayed recall, mental flexibility and task switching, visual working memory, and story recall. And all of those things start very simple and they grow in complexity. Until they get to the point where they say, hey, I'm feeling normal again. You know, or hey, I'm able to tolerate this headache and do more with it. And say, okay, well then at some point we reassess and see if those scores are higher. And that's when we know we have success. And in some cases, they don't respond the way that we want them to do that. And so we say, this is not a deficit that you're going to rehabilitate at this time. We're going to teach you some strategies to work around it. So now you have tools in your pocket you pull out when you need to. And that's the, sort of the second phase. And hopefully we don't have to get there because hopefully they get back to their normal baseline. During the pandemic, kids have had to switch to online learning on their laptops and even just getting to socialize on their phones. Does this affect their concussion treatment and make it worse, or is it just another obstacle to overcome? 
I think in the pandemic, it's been a huge challenge for us because so many children are now online for schooling, and we've really struggled with the kids who have really bad headaches from electronics trying to balance their being able to attend school and do their schoolwork and yet uh, balance their, their headache symptoms from that. Yeah, I definitely agree that in regards to academics this year, has been doubly difficult because the stimuli of a classroom is one thing when you're, you know, you've got bright lights, kids around you, things like that. But when you're at home and you're 100%, you know, connected to a, a moving screen that is known to be a huge target for increasing, as a trigger for increasing these symptoms, headache, nausea, you know, whatever that we've described, I mean, they're, they're locked to it, they're dependent on it you know, as a way to engage with their class and to, to perform academically. So it's a huge challenge. And, and I encourage from the beginning, and I have, I mean, really since we started this, that screen time be a part of their home therapy. So I'll prescribe daily stimulation via, you know, um, iPad apps like Lumosity and things like that um, in order to daily stimulate your brain, have that screen time, again, to their level of tolerance so that they are reestablishing that relationship with technology. We can't live without it. It's just not a possibility to function in our world. When the headaches are severe, we really encourage to minimize electronics. However, we don't want to do that long term because electronics are a huge form of socialization for the kids, as Michael was saying. So we then kind of shifted to let's use our electronics, but in a form, just like Michael was saying, in a mindful form so that we're using it in short periods of time where it doesn't provoke our headaches. And we see very large spectrums of parent, parent reactions to that. Sometimes in the beginning, they don't quite believe us. And then sometimes in the end, they are almost the anti-electronic parent. So it, it goes to all different ranges of reaction. How do kids respond to the concussion clinic treatment? I'll just say first that I think kids really respond well to what we're doing because we're not putting expectations on them beyond what their normal abilities are. We're trying really hard to establish what that is for them. And two, we're listening to what they want to do. They're, we're not just, you know, laying out a, a blueprint that every kid's supposed to fit into. They're all different, and what they do and what they want to do is different for each of them. And so, you know, we're, we're listening to them. It's their therapy. It's, it's their concussion. It's their life. Dr. Mollick, is there anything else you think gets overlooked during the pediatric treatment of concussions? If I can just make a plug for good sleep habits. I know we always focus on sleep habits in babies and toddlers and everybody will always say, oh, that toddler is ready for a nap. But I think one of the main things that we focus on in our clinic are sleep habits because your brain, as Michael had said, you know, we want to exercise our brain, but then we want our brain to rest. But also part of that is really a good solid sleep cycle at night. So even if your child is 14 or 15, they need a sleep time that does not include the TV at night or their computer or their phone, that those things are taken away or totally shut down and they sleep and then they have a dedicated time that they are awake. Even during the pandemic, when they're doing school at home, 
they are they have an alarm clock or they have something where they are awakened at a certain hour and expected to brush their teeth, comb their hair, be dressed, and doing something in the morning if they're suffering from a concussion because they need a regimen. They need a routine to keep their brain in a cycle of function. And a really strong, good night of sleep does a body good. And and they will function so much better. And especially if they're going to like speech therapy with Michael, if they have a day of speech therapy with Michael, or one of our, you know, or if they're going to our vision therapist, or if they're going to, you know, any of our other therapists, they need that good night of sleep so that they can get the most out of their therapy that day. Or if they're going to school, uh, true school in in person, they need that good night of sleep so that they're able to extract what they can out of their classwork. And sometimes that's hard to get that buy-in. Is the concussion clinic just for parent decreases in function or can it be for that parent that's just not sure? The goal of the concussion clinic is just to provide that extra level of support to be able to say, yeah, walk it off. You know, there's no, there's no underlying evidence that ca- should cause concern, right? And that happens sometimes where we'll have kids come in and we'll be like, hey, I'm, we're glad you came. We're glad you were able to take this time to get this extra level of information. But yeah, we think this person is in good shape. Um, you know, understand your concerns. So, yeah, I think it's good to have just that extra level of information. And then sometimes there is that child who is in dire need of vision therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapies, physical therapy, and we can provide that if needed. Michael, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you and find out more information, how could they reach you? Sure. So, again, I work at the Speech Swallowing and Voice Center here in Wichita at the east side location. That phone number is 358-9199. Um, obviously, for uh, obviously for an evaluation, you would need a doctor's prescription. But I'm always happy to provide education and answer questions for people that want more information. Dr. Mollick and Michael Hogwood, thank you for taking time to be here today. Thanks, Aaron. That's it for Trauma Talk today. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions for me or any requests for upcoming episodes, you can reach me at a a r o n dot s u t t o n at wesleymc.com. That's Aaron.Sutton at WesleyMC.com. And as always, you can catch us every even Tuesday with a new episode.